chapter 3 in your Bibles this evening, Ruth chapter 3. There's nothing quite like rest of soul, amen? And the rest that comes through oneness with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's going to be our focus this evening, the rest that is available through our relationship to the kinsman redeemer as illustrated in the story, the Old Testament story of Ruth the Moabitess and Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, a wonderful Old Testament picture of a Jewish bridegroom and a Gentile bride, and just full of so many tremendous and encouraging thoughts for us this evening. I'm going to begin, we're going to read the entire chapter, and then we will consider this thought tonight, finding rest. Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee. Yes, that's exactly what you think it is. Put on some perfume. And put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. And thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. I'll just say this for all of you Gentile young ladies. Aren't you glad that's not how husbands are acquired today? Are you? Okay, it sounded kind of a weak response there. Verse number five, I love Ruth's response. And she said unto her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. That's key in so many ways to this chapter. Verse number six, and she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down. By the way, this reference to his heart being merry, I don't believe has anything to do with any kind of alcoholic beverage or alcoholic influence. This is just the joy of harvest. How many of you have grown up on a farm? Or you're familiar with a farm? There's just something joyful about harvest time. And the Bible makes that clear. The merry heart was the result of a harvest brought in. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly quietly and uncovered his feet and laid her down and it came to pass that the man was afraid and turned himself and behold a woman lay at his feet you don't say and he said who art thou and she said I'm Ruth thine handmaid spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid for thou art a near kinsman and he said blessed be thou of the Lord my daughter For thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Just a little side note here. The word virtuous uh, that's translated in our King James Version, virtuous here, is the same Hebrew word that is translated mighty man of wealth, in chapter number 2 to describe Boaz. It's the exact same word showing a common character, a common virtue, a common godliness. Uh, They were a match truly made in heaven. 
Verse number 12, And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth. Lie down until morning. Now, we're not going to get deep into verses 12 and 13 this evening. We'll do that when we get into chapter number 4, when Boaz actually meets with the elders of the city and this unnamed kinsman at the city gate. Continuing with verse 14, And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. It's the idea of recognize another. And there is clear boundary here. Nothing immoral took place. There are those who with their sordid imagination have guessed that or thought that, that nothing of that is the truth. I've written in the margin of my Bible, virtuous women do not seek to seduce drunk men. Okay? Not even mentioning that Boaz wasn't drunk. And then I've also written this, a man without principle does not protect the rights of another man as Boaz does here. He protected the rights of this nearer kinsman. Nor is a man uh, who is without principle concerned about the reputation of a lady. And in this situation, Boaz is clearly concerned about Ruth's reputation because he says in verse number 14, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. As I understand it, this is the equivalent of about 60 pounds. Not only was she a virtuous woman, she was strong, too. Okay. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? Naomi, the, the, another way of saying that, is that you? Remember, it's early, early morning. And she told her all that the man had done to her, and she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Naomi, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. Yet a further demonstration of the character of Boaz. One of the young ladies that comes here from the college was telling me that for an assignment for their Christian womanhood class, they had to, if I'm remembering this correctly, they had to make a list of godly characteristics in a husband, a potential husband. And uh, she said that they, several of them had had to revise their list after hearing the preaching from the book of Ruth as they've seen the kind of man that Boaz was. And I was reminded yet again this evening on the way to church, I am really looking forward to meeting Boaz. Boaz was a man among men in a very dark time, and it's a testimony to us men in the 21st century that God can use a man among men, a godly man of character, even in the darkest of times. That's another message, though. But I want us to consider this subject this evening from Ruth chapter number 3, the value, the blessing, the wonder of finding rest in our kinsman redeemer. Let's pray. Father, help us the next few moments together as we finish out the preaching hour this Sunday, this Lord's Day, and I pray that you would use the message this evening to be like a drink from an oasis as we go out into the desert of this week, I pray that we would be refreshed in our souls, in our hearts, our minds, and uh, Lord, even in our bodies as we go out to seek to be your representatives, your ambassadors to a world 
that in so many ways is just like the times of the judges, the days when the judges ruled, just as Ruth and Boaz experienced. And I thank you for the bright light of their lives, and I pray that our lives, uh, as we uh, are faithful to and loyal to and in love with the kinsman redeemer, I pray that our lives would also reflect the glory of Christ in a dark world. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Naomi says to Ruth, asks her the question in verse number one, shall I seek rest for thee? And just by way of introduction, a few thoughts here. And I've said this before, but it bears repeating. And that is this. In so asking this question, shall not I seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee, in the context of marriage, Naomi is very clearly setting forth what we could call a biblical marriage ideal. Men, our homes are to be a place of rest for our wives, a place of security, a place of stability. And that is what Naomi is seeking to do. I also am interested by the fact, and we've talked about this in previous messages, uh, Naomi came back from Moab battling bitterness. Bitterness had gripped her soul like an iceberg. And this is one of the first indications when she's thinking outside of herself. Remember when they came back to Bethlehem, the focus was very much on her. But now they are back, they're getting settled in. Ruth has spent her first days harvesting, gleaning in Boaz's field. And it's apparent by Naomi's perspective as she's thinking about rest for Ruth that she's beginning to think outside of herself. And it's an indication that the iceberg of bitterness is beginning to melt and to break up in Naomi's life when she begins to think outside of herself. Bitter people tend to be very interfocused. Okay. How that wrong affected me. How that offense hurt me. But she's beginning to think about others and it's an indication that bitterness is losing its icy grip. As I mentioned at the beginning as well, the, this passage of scripture, Ruth chapter number 3, can in a sense, as we think about the importance of rest and Naomi's desire to seek rest for Ruth... This story and this chapter in particular could be something of a New Testament or pardon me, an Old Testament illustration of Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, where Jesus, our New Testament kinsman redeemer, said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so here is an Old Testament illustration of that, keeping in mind the picture that Boaz and Ruth's relationship is to us as New Testament believers. The Lord Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer and we as the church are his Gentile bride. But I want us to focus very simply on this thought this evening. Rest of soul can be found. Rest of soul can be had. There are many things that we could consider that we could discuss that cause unrest in the soul. We live in a world of changing circumstances, a unstable economy, fickle politicians who it seems that in many cases common sense has vacated Washington, D.C., okay. We think about the instability of the financial market, we think about Families with heartache and heartbreak in them, all kinds of difficult situations that could be before us. And yet I want us to understand tonight that rest of soul, you can have rest of soul. You can. 
As we look at Naomi and Ruth's interaction with Boaz here, I want you to notice, number one, you can have rest of soul. I can have rest of soul, first of all, by reliance upon godly counsel. Reliance on godly counsel. Naomi, as an Old Testament Jew who knew Deuteronomy chapter number 25, verses 5 through 10, which is the passage of Scripture that sets forth that Old Testament concept of what we call the Leverit message, uh, uh, marriage. And that is this, that if a, if a man married a woman and then he died, then it was the Old Testament law based on Deuteronomy 25 that his brother or closest male relative who was not married would then marry that widow to raise up a son to the name of the man who had died so that the family name could be carried on and so that the inheritance could be passed on as well, so that that man's name didn't die out in Israel. And it was a very selfless thing, and we'll see this when we get to chapter 4. In many ways, it was a selfless thing for a man to do what Boaz did because he wasn't going to get the inheritance in the long run. And that son that would be born to his and Ruth's relationship technically would be considered Malon's son, not Boaz's son. And so it was a selfless thing to do. And you see that it required selflessness by the fact that the unnamed kinsman said, no, I'm not doing it because it'll mar my inheritance. Okay, But it was the law of God, it was the provision of God in the Old Testament. Naomi knew that. And based on the scripture, she gave counsel to Ruth to act. By going to Boaz and making the appeal that he would act as the kinsman redeemer. And it gives to us a very important principle, and that is this. If we're going to have rest of soul, it must be when we are... Let me say it this way. If we're going to have rest of soul, we have to rely on godly counsel. We have to. I think about Psalm chapter number 1 that warns uh, about not following godly counsel. The Bible tells us, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of who? The ungodly. There's a lot of ungodly counsel out there in the world today that's vying for influence. It's deceptive. It's cloaked. It's strong. And if we're going to know rest of soul, we must rely on godly counsel. I think about Proverbs eleven fourteen and Proverbs 24 and verse number 6, that there is safety in the multitude of counselors. All of us should surround ourselves with friends and mentors, older folks in the faith, and even peers who are reliable uh, avenues of godly counsel. We all need it. I think about Proverbs chapter 19 and verse number 21. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. In Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11, the counsel of the Lord endureth forever. Surround yourself. If you want rest of soul, surround yourself with people who are going to give you godly counsel. Because it's in relying on godly counsel that rest of soul can be had. Last couple of weeks, I've been dealing with a situation, a ministry, a counseling situation, and there were some questions that I had, and I knew of a a former professor and mentor that lives a little distance from here. And I told Grace, I said, I've just got to go talk to him. This is not a conversation I can have over the phone. I've got to go talk to him. 
And so last Wednesday, we worked it out. I called him in advance, set it all up, and went over. And he was gracious enough, even with some physical issues that he and his family are experiencing at this time, to allow me to come. And for an hour and a half, I sat in his living room. And I asked him questions. I wanted to make sure that the course of action that I was thinking, that it was based on biblical grounds and godly counsel was being sought. I didn't want to simply be told what I wanted to hear. I needed to be told what was right. And so the importance, if you want rest of soul, you'll not have it aside from godly counsel. Seek godly counsel. And Naomi gives godly counsel to Ruth. I want you to notice secondly, though, if you and I are going to have rest of soul, not only must we rely on godly counsel, but we need to resolve to obey even if it doesn't make sense and even if there's great risk involved. Naomi tells Ruth what to do. Now, remember, Ruth's a Moabite, so she's coming very freshly from a completely different set of customs. And now here's Naomi telling her, Okay, tonight I want you to take a bath. I want you to put on some perfume. I want you to put on this cloak or this robe. And when all the men are finished and they're all gone to bed down at the threshing floor where men or where women generally are not allowed in the Hebrew custom, I want you to go down there. And when it's dark and everybody's asleep, mark where Boaz went to sleep. And I want you to go over there and I want you to uncover his feet and let the cool air kind of stir things. I want you to lay down at his feet and when he wakes up, he'll tell you what you need to do next. Do what? Now, we're hearing this as 21st century Americans. Okay, it's, it's very strange to us. She was hearing this as a Moabite, completely different set of customs. The Moabites didn't have this Leviric custom like the Jews did. They were a pagan people, a godless people. And I can imagine what could have gone through Ruth's mind. Excuse me? Go where? Say what? Went tonight in the dark? Proposed to him? Do you reckon there were some things about this that didn't make sense to her? And yet, what does she say? Verse number five. All that thou sayest to me, I will do. And she went down into the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. She resolved to obey even when it didn't make sense, she revolve, uh, resolved to obey even at great risk. If she would have been discovered, the risk of her not only as a woman but as a Moabite woman doing this, there was great risk involved. But can I remind us tonight that some of the greatest works of faith that the Bible records were works that were performed in obedience to the command of God that from the human perspective did not make sense and involved great risk. And we need to understand from Ruth's example that rest of soul comes not only when we rely on godly counsel, 
But also when we resolve to obey, even if it doesn't make sense and even if there's great risk, ask Abraham. The Lord said, Abraham, pack up. I want you to leave her the Chaldees. Where am I going, Lord? I'll tell you when you get there. You just point your feet in the direction and I'll tell you when we're there. Gideon, I'm going to use you to defeat the Midianites. So Gideon puts out the call. 32,000 soldiers show up ready to fight, armed for battle. And the Lord said, it's too many. Grace and I and May got the opportunity to go to the spot where the stream, the spring comes out from under the side of a mountain where Gideon had all of those soldiers kneel down and drink from the stream. I've got pictures on my phone if you're interested in seeing it. I thought, I'm going to reenact this. And several of us, a bunch of us, got down on our knees and we reenacted drinking both ways. Drinking right down out of the water and then scooping with the hand as well. Can you imagine what went through Gideon's mind? The Bible tells us that the Midianites were spread in that valley as thick as anything. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Gideon has 32,000 and the Lord said, that's too many. If, if I use 32,000, man will be tempted to boast and say he did it. So I want you to send home everybody that's scared. Imagine what would happen to you if you put out the call to 32,000 people. Everybody that's scared, go home. And 22 of your 32,000 went home. And then the Lord said, that's still too many. Now I want you to take everybody down to this stream. And all of them that drink... Out of their hand, instead of lapping like a dog, those are the ones I'm going to use. And it ended up being 300. Can you imagine Gideon (laughs) counting the cost? And yet God said, I'm going to use those 300 to defeat the Midianites. And he did. Something that involved great risk, something that didn't make sense. I think about Rahab the harlot (laughs) hanging a scarlet thread. A scarlet thread hung out the window is going to leave my house on the wall as the only place left standing when the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. The spies gave her God's word on it, and that's exactly what happened. I think about the first church. 120 people. And yet, empowered by the Spirit of God, God said, I'm going to take those 120 and I'm going to add 3,000 to them. Can you imagine what that discipleship ministry looked like? 120 people discipling 3,000 new believers. And then shortly after, another 5,000 would be added. And God would take 120 and, empowered by the Spirit of God, turn the world upside down. If we're going to have rest of soul... We need to rely on godly counsel. We need to resolve to obey the commands of the Lord, even if it doesn't make sense and it comes at great risk. Number three, I want you to notice this. Rest of soul can be had, number three. May I say it this way? Rest of soul can be had or will be had by relationship to the Redeemer. By right relationship to the Redeemer. Naomi tells Ruth back in the early part of the chapter, verse number 2, And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast, talking about being in Boaz's field, gleaning. Uh, Verse number 9, And he said, Who art thou? And she said, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. He'll acknowledge in verse number 12, It is true that I am thy near kinsman. I don't believe I can stress too much, we can stress too much 
the importance of our relationship, our personal daily relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ to the rest that we can have in our soul. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It speaks of the ability of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the guarantee of rest of soul. It comes when we draw near to him. It comes when we depend wholly upon him. We can fault the Hindus for adding Jesus Christ to their pantheon of deities. And yet I'm afraid many Americans who profess to be Christians, we're guilty of just adding Jesus Christ to other things that are really idols in our lives. Drawing near to him, depending wholly upon him. I like something that Ruth says here. Notice, if you would, verse number 9 again. He asks her, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Notice her request. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid. She's talking about the hem of his garment. It was symbolic in the 10th century B.C. when this would have taken place. It was symbolic of covering with protection. And so she says, cover me with your skirt. Cover us with your skirt. Go back to chapter number 2 and verse number 12. Chapter 2 and verse number 12. Boaz is commending Ruth here for her trust in the Lord. Chapter 2 and verse number 12. He says to her, the Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose, what's the word? Wings thou art come to trust. The word wings that she uses here, and of course we can automatically, or that Boaz uses, we can automatically think of the words of David the psalmist that uh, the, the Lord covers us with the shadow of his, what? His wings. We abide under the shadow of the Almighty and like chicks we are brought under the protective covering of the wings of the Lord. The word wings that Boaz uses here in this symbolic picture of, of Ruth coming to trust under the Lord's wings is the exact same word in the Hebrew that she uses when she says, cover me with your skirt, your wings of protection. She is picturing for you and for me complete dependence upon her kinsman redeemer. And you and I must demonstrate complete dependence upon our kinsman, Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about the thrill that should more and more come to our hearts every time we read the Gospels. And good books about the Gospels and we learn more and more of the heart of Christ, that he is gentle or meek and lowly of heart. We find his compassion, we hear his words, we see his works, we hear his promises for the future, and all of those things, the more we saturate ourselves with drawing near to Christ and his word, the more we do that, the more we love him. 2 Corinthians 3.18, the Apostle Paul said, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory, the attribute of the Lord, and ultimately the person of Jesus Christ, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, that is, attribute to attribute, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The, the, the teaching of Paul is this, is that the more I see the attributes of Christ, the glory of Christ as the revelation of the Father in Scripture... 
Something supernatural happens. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God. As I look into the mirror of the Word of God, He takes it and He makes me more and more like Jesus Christ. It's a supernatural work. I can't necessarily explain it no more than I can explain how you shine sun and you pour water on grass and it grows and flowers and they bloom. But I know this, that when I pursue Christ in the word, the spirit of God takes that and he makes me like Jesus and he draws out my heart to Jesus so that I know him at new and fresh levels like I never had before. And as I learn more of my kinsman redeemer, there's a stability, a calm that comes to my heart. And then this longing to know him even more. Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul speaks of the one thing. wants to know Christ. Even if it involves learning more of Christ through suffering, knowing Christ is so superior that he's willing to suffer. Because even in suffering we learn things about Christ that we otherwise would not have known. And as we grow in our relationship to the Redeemer, get this, rest of soul comes. Because I get closer to his heart, his heart which is meek and lowly. His heart which is not perturbed by the storms of life. His heart which allows him to sleep calmly in the bow of a storm-tossed vessel. That's my Jesus. And the closer I am to him, the more I know of rest. I understand the importance of the practical teaching and preaching of God's Word, and I try to do some of it. Maybe I could do more of it. But I'm finding this more and more in my own life, and that is this, is that I gaze upon Christ as I focus upon Christ, and as I seek to point us to Christ as a church, what happens is that the more that we see of Jesus, the more we know of the attributes of the Father and of the Son and of the ministry of the Spirit, the more we know about who they are and what their character is and their attributes are, get this, the more the practical things tend to just take care of themselves. So, Ruth... had rest because she drew near to the Redeemer. Number four, rest of soul can be had by refusing faulty, deficient forms of rest. How many of you would say there are all kinds of things in this world, distractions, trinkets in this world that offer rest, that offer security and stability, but in the end do not? Notice what Boaz says to Ruth in verse number 10. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness. Uh, This is chesed kindness again, covenant love. Thou hast shown more covenant love in the latter end than at the beginning. By the way, that use of that word kindness there, chesed, is indicating that Ruth is very clearly not doing what she's doing just for herself. She's doing so. She understands that by marrying Boaz, she's not just taking care of herself. She's taking care of Naomi, too. She's also taking care of the memory of Malon and the inheritance that would be passed along to their son. 
But he says to her, Blessed be thou, the Lord my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Notice this. Inasmuch as thou followedst not young men, whether poor or rich. This is another indication in this passage that Ruth was significantly younger than Boaz was. He's pointing out the fact that from a human perspective, this is likely what folks would have expected, that Ruth would have married a younger man regardless of his economic status. Not married an older man like Boaz, even though he was the kinsman redeemer. He is commending her heart, get this, to obey the Lord's plan. He's commending her for refusing faulty and deficient forms of rest that in the end might have made sense at the social perspective, but they would have been self-serving. Instead, she is pursuing God's rest, God's way, God's will. What are some of the faulty and deficient forms of rest that we often flee to? I think sometimes a person's reputation. As long as everybody thinks well of them and they build their identity based on what people think of them. My mother used to say to us and had it on her fridge, and I've said this before, you would worry less what people thought about you if you realized how little they actually did. A lot of us, our whole sense of identity, security, is based on what people think of us. Now, we don't go to the opposite extreme and say, I don't care what anybody thinks. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. But let's remember when it comes to the work of God and the will of God, let's remember this, that Jesus made himself of no reputation. The deficient form of rest that is called reputation. The deficient form of rest that is called relationships, other than the primacy of our relationship to the kinsman redeemer. Sometimes it might be family relationships. It might be social relationships, and we build our security on that. And let me remind all of us, the arm of flesh will fail you. Riches can be a faulty or deficient form of rest. For some people, their form of rest is various aspects of recreation. You say, Pastor, there you are alliterating again. I know, it's a memory tool. I think sometimes, and this is not just ladies, but men too, I think sometimes people find temporary rest, a quick fix, an adrenal rush by shopping. For some people, it's other forms of entertainment. It might be the trinkets of this world. But anything of this world that is temporal, get this, it's going to pass away and it is not, it is not a stable and a secure form of rest. And Ruth illustrates to us that if we're going to find rest of soul, one of the things that we must do is refuse faulty and deficient forms of rest. Number five, if we're going to find rest of soul, just to review, there must be reliance on godly counsel. There must be a resolve to obey even if it doesn't make sense and it comes at great risk. There must be a relationship to the kinsman redeemer there must be a refusal to rely on faulty and deficient forms of rest. And fifthly and finally, and this one may sound kind of circular, but if we're going to find rest of soul, we must be resting in the only one who can give it. Ruth comes home, verse number 18, Then said Naomi, then said she, Naomi, to her, Sit still. 
when I hear that, the first, the first verse comes to mind. Psalm 4610, I believe it is. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still. Naomi says to Ruth, sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. If we're going to have rest of soul, we must rest in the only one who can give it. We must learn to sit still and let him do the work. By the way, when it comes to your eternal salvation in mind, he's already done the work. That's why he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But when it comes to the work of our sanctification, when it comes to the work of our care, I'm not going to get into this this evening, but there was a dilemma that came up that Boaz even brought up himself, a problem that came up with this kinsman who was nearer. And obviously, Boaz will take care of that in chapter number four. But also, he provides for them. And here's this massive heap of barley down at the threshing floor. And he takes 60 pounds out of it. And he says, now take this home to your mother-in-law just as a down payment, a testimony that I've got everything taken care of. I think about the abundance of grace. We can draw every day, every minute on the bank of grace in God's heaven and there is no depletion, no reduction in the store of his grace. So we can rest and the only one who can give rest, our kinsman redeemer. Rest, Ruth. I want to close with two passages. Keep your hand here. I'll tell you what. I, we'll, you can go ahead and just jump ahead to Psalm 27. Psalm 27 and Psalm 37. Did you find both of those chapters? I want to just make a final connection here and then we'll close. Psalm 27. And I want you to notice the beginning of the chapter. It's a psalm of David. And then move forward to the last two verses. Psalm 27, 13 and 14. David, under inspiration, is writing and he says, I had fainted. I was done for, is the implication. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is a powerful thought. By the eye of faith... He's believing to see. Circumstances at the human level, nothing looks good about him. But by faith, he said, listen, there's a good and a sovereign God who is not separated from these circumstances. And as bad as the circumstances may seem, even to the point where I'm about to faint, I understand that he's a good God, that every gift that he gives is good. And so he will bring good out of this situation. And with the eye of faith, David could see it. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then notice what he says. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So what is David's final admonition in Psalm 14? It's wait, rest, sit still. Look at Psalm 37. Just three verses. Psalm 37 and verse number 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. The word trust here means to flee to a place of refuge. Flee to the Lord for refuge. Do good. Keep obeying. 
And God is going to secure your future. Look at verse number five. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. The word commit here is to roll your way. Roll the circumstance. Roll the burden on the Lord. Let me just say this. There's no burden you have that is too big for God to carry. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. And then notice verse number seven. Rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. The same idea that we've just seen in Ruth chapter three. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. The word rest that David uses in verse number seven is literally this idea. Be quiet before the Lord. Be silent in his presence. Sit still and be quiet. Put your burden on him and let him take care of it. If you're going to have rest of soul, you've got to rest in the only one who can give rest. My imagination is such that I, David knew Ruth's story. Matter of fact, there are some that believe he actually is the human penman of the book of Ruth. Writing based on an oral tradition of the story, there are those that believe that. We'll not know till we get to heaven. But I can't help but in my own mind imagine David as he's writing Psalm 27. And as he's writing Psalm 37 and he's remembering the stories of Grandma Ruth sitting still and resting and waiting on the kinsman redeemer to take care of business. And David saw that as an illustration in his own life. And now it's an example to you and to me. If we're going to have rest in our souls, we need to rest in the only one who can give us rest and just sit still and be quiet before the Lord. I was thinking this evening, this afternoon, about a dear saint of the Lord who's now been in heaven for a decade or so, maybe more than that. She was a member of the church at Wayland when they called my dad to be the pastor there in 1988. She had been a widow at that time for many years and was in her 80s. If I'm getting, no, she would have been in her, she was born in 2013, so whatever that would have been, and I'm not fast on the arithmetic. She was aged. My dad purposely, when I was a teenager, Jesse Kincaid was one of the godliest women that I've ever met in my life. Uh, there are stories I could tell about her, but dad would regularly say, I want you to go visit Jesse. I thought at the time, both when I was a teenager and then as a college student, I'd come home. And then when I was dad's assistant, I thought dad was having me go visit Jesse Kincaid so I could be a blessing to her. But I think my dad was having me visit Jesse Kincaid because he knew God would use her to teach me a lot. And I remember and when I would walk into her little duplex apartment in the Senior Citizens Living Center there in Wayland, it was like walking into this atmosphere of perfect peace and calm. And there would sit her open study Bible and her prayer list. And while she lived, she would pray for me and my siblings and other young people training for the ministry and the church membership list, and she would pray. And God has used the memory of Jesse Kincaid just sitting quietly before the Lord, being still, and modeling rest of soul to be a challenge to me.
And I'm a long way from that. But I'll tell you this, more and more as I grow as a believer, I sure want it to just be at the feet of Jesus, to sit still and to be quiet in the presence of our kinsman redeemer. Father, thank you. For the word tonight. Thank you for the example of Ruth. And I pray, God, that within each of us has been stirred a renewed desire, passion for rest of soul. That we would see in Ruth's example and Naomi's instruction and Boaz's provision the opportunity and illustration and example for all of us of the rest of soul that we can have in our kinsman redeemer. Lord, as we conclude this service tonight, just a moment with a song, I pray if there's one here that doesn't have rest of soul, first of all, maybe because they've never trusted Christ as Savior, I pray that they would see today as the day of salvation that Jesus is saying to them, come unto me and I will give you rest. And Lord, if there is one like that, I pray before they leave tonight, they would come to me or come to another believer here and ask for help finding rest of soul in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for believers that are here tonight. I don't know the turmoil that's in hearts, the internal storms that may be taking place, the circumstances that just seem to be overwhelming. But I thank you that we can have rest of soul when we run to our kinsman redeemer, when we rely on godly counsel, when we resolve to obey, even if it doesn't make sense. We can have rest of soul. I thank you for the heart of Christ that is a refuge and a rest for all those who come to him. And I pray this in his precious name. Amen.